This is the Converge Podcast. We meet at 10.30 every Sunday morning at Heritage Baptist Church in the chapel. This is a group that is geared towards those who are young adults who want to follow Jesus and live the gospel life wherever the journey takes them. You can bring it back to your seats. Cameron, Cameron Wallace. Hey, who did you meet? Name one person you met today. Who? Okay. Okay, awesome. What's his favorite food? You remember? That's okay if not. Hey, guys, guess what happened? Cameron got engaged this weekend, guys. How cool is that? Cameron, where's your fiance? Right back there, Catherine. Soon to be Catherine Wallace. Congratulations. It's awesome. Uh, Glad you guys had the opportunity to get to know one another. And as we are back from Thanksgiving, I want you guys to continue to think about the things you are thankful for. You want to know what I'm thankful for? There's a whole lot. What? Yeah, there's a whole lot of things. But truly, truly am I thankful for the cross. In a lot of, for a lot of reasons. One of the things that has been on my mind this whole week is that today I woke up and I will always wake up for the rest of eternity, the rest of my life, right with God. Nothing can take that away, that I am made right with God through Jesus. How cool is that? And so sometimes it, it's, it's helpful to slow down and focus on one aspect of the cross. What about the cross today are you thankful for? Guys, I'm also very, very thankful for Converge. For those of you who do not know me, I am so blessed to be here. My name is Hunter Fretheim. I have the privilege of being Pastor Dave Ashburn's ministry assistant and have a heavy hand in Converge and the culture here and what we are trying to do with young adults at Heritage. We have a couple of announcements for you guys before Pastor Dave comes up. The first one is CrossCon. Uh, If you guys have been here before, you've heard me announce this, but this is going to be from January 3rd to 5th. We're going to leave here on the 2nd. 
there are still a couple of slots open, and the last week to sign up is this week. So a week from today, uh, the registration, that, that will be the last day you can register. The following Monday is going to be, uh, the registration will close, and I will send out the first emails to those who uh, are going to attend. So if you guys want to attend, you can sign up um, online. You can also come talk to me. And again, if money is a big issue for you guys, please at least come have the conversation. This is an amazing, amazing opportunity for you guys, and we do not want you to miss it. Next one is that there is going to be a men's conference uh, in the month of April from the 19th to the 21st. This is uh, going to take place in Sophia, North Carolina at a place called Caraway uh, Camps, and it is going to be awesome. Uh, not only is it going to be awesome in terms of the program that we have planned for you guys, but this is the cheapest conference we have ever offered and it is even cheaper for you guys who are in college. And so if you guys want that, it is in a specific code that I will give to you if you come talk to me, and you can register, and you will be able to go to this conference for super cheap for several days, everything included for you guys, so that you guys can grow with other men in this church as we fix our eyes on Jesus together. Uh, last announcement is that we have Friendsgiving at the Shantons, people. 211 Mill Spring Drive. Bring your favorite side or dessert. That is Thursday, December 7th at 6 p.m. If you want to stay up to date with these events and others, you can text HBC Converge, HBC Unverge to 81010, uh, and you can receive texts that are up to date. And then we have one event coming up called Coffee and Cookies. And it is on December 9th. This is going to be kind of your final exam week rest that we want to provide for you guys. It's going to be a lot of fun. More details to come. But take note, December 9th, we will have coffee and cookies for you guys. All right, people. That's all I got. Please join me in welcoming Pastor Dave Ashburn. So sometimes I'm a little bit... Um unobservant and you know that's that's on me I'll take that but I think I heard Cameron when Hunter called him out just casually throw out the word fiance did I hear that wow congratulations to Cameron and Catherine for getting engaged that's fantastic when you guys have things to celebrate like that we would love to celebrate with you so tell us, not casually, just throw it out there like we have to pick. No, I'm kidding. That was great. I'm glad that you said it. Um, congrats. So we look forward to celebrating with you guys uh, as the date arrives. Do you know when the date is? You don't have to. Sometime in August. Okay. Awesome. Um, guys, we are in a study in Ephesians. If you, I know that for some of you this may be... Um, your one chance to come to converge for a while if you're, if you're away from here, or, uh, or you may not be here very often. And so we're thrilled that you get to be with us today. We've been studying in the book of Ephesians for a while now. We've been taking it kind of slow, hitting, hitting a section, a chapter really, and then, and then trying to have some really solid discussion on it looking at it from a different perspective, maybe having um, some panel, or we haven't had a panel yet, have we? We talked about panel. Today was supposed to be a panel. 
Um, it didn't work out. Our participants couldn't come. That's a hard thing to have a panel with. And so we had to, um, we, we had to change gears just a little bit. One thing that's been difficult is if you take one Sunday and try to cover a whole chapter of a book as deep as Ephesians, it's really hard to get to everything. So in having to change gears a little bit today, I decided to take advantage of that opportunity and move ahead into December. I know it's not December yet. It's beginning to feel a lot like Christmas. So we're going to move that direction anyway. And we're going to take the first part of Ephesians chapter 3 today. And then we're going to get into the rest of Ephesians chapter 3 next week. Um, Seth, are we able to switch to my iPad? Is it working? Maybe. Maybe not. So for the... Do you need me to unplug here? Might not. There we go. All right. Um, We are going to spend some time in um, in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13 today. And at first, when we were looking at Ephesians chapter 3, we were mostly going to skip this first section of of chapter 3. Uh, and not because it, we didn't think it had any significance, but, but the second half of Ephesians chapter 3 is, is so defining for what Paul is hoping for the Ephesians out of their relationship with the Lord. In fact, it's so defining that it is the passage that helped us to kind of structure where we're going with men's conference in the spring. And so uh, we really wanted to settle into Ephesians 14, 3, 14 through 21 but we were going to have to miss Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. And so I, I wanted to take advantage of the opportunity to, to do that today. It's a little bit of a, of a strange kind of standalone section of Ephesians because Paul, he starts to say something and then he just sort of goes on a separate direction for 12 verses. Okay? And we're going to see that. I want to I share that with you a little bit this morning. Here's how Paul starts Ephesians chapter 3. Now, for those of you who haven't been with us um, very much, Ephesians 3, 1 through 13 is also a bit of a recap of Ephesians 1 and 2. I will also um, walk us through a little bit of Ephesians 1 and 2 to make sure we're all on the same page. And because we're doing it so slowly, it helps to kind of re- hash a few things as we go. But this is what Paul says. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then there's no verb. Just, just stops. He doesn't stop. He, he goes on a different tangent. You probably experienced that somewhere around a Thanksgiving table this week, you know, where somebody starts to say something and then It just goes a different direction. Maybe you're that person. Um, Paul, Paul does that for us today, where he starts, he starts to share something significant. I, Paul, I'm a prisoner. This is who I am. He doesn't give a verb, so I don't really know what he's going to say next, right? 
I, Paul, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ on behalf of you Gentiles. This is weighty. This is significant. I'm a prisoner, that, and, and it's, it's on you. This is you. This, my role as a prisoner is on behalf of you, Paul says. And, and I think what really happens here, it's, uh, and, and a lot of people would agree with me on this, is that what Paul does is he goes on a tangent for about 12 verses, and then he revisits it in verse 14. So he says, for this reason, I, Paul, in verse 14, if we scroll down here a little bit, he revisits that whole initial statement and says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So what he's about to do is pray, share with the Ephesians what he prays for them. He says, this is why I bow my knees before the Father. We're going to get into those verses next week. They're really... Um, significant what Paul longs for the the people of God there in Ephesus and what he hopes them for them to experience in their relationship with the Lord and really um, as we think through the men's conference and we called it rooted and if you've been around um, Converge for a little while you recognize that logo because we thought it was great and nobody outside of Converge ever saw it so we're reusing it um, for the men's conference I'll own it. You guys see it, okay? But, um, but the whole idea there is that if, as men, okay, for men's conference, as men, to be able to fulfill the role that God has for you as an employee, as an ambassador for Christ, as a future husband, as a future father, as, as these roles take shape, for you to do them well in a way that honors Christ, it needs to flow out of a set identity in who you are in Christ. And so Paul says that here. He says that he wants them, you know, just a tease for next week. Um, he says... He bows his knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, here's what he longs for, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That as a result of being rooted in the love of Christ, you would be able to experience the fullness of God. This is where Paul is going. However, he takes a 12-verse road trip. Okay? And I think a lot of it has to do with the significant... Um, description he gives of himself and realizes what it might sound like to the Ephesians. Sometimes we don't meditating on a passage. It takes, it takes trying to put yourself in their shoes to try to understand. I think, I think Paul gets it. And, you know, he, he's writing a letter which isn't so far off from somebody trying to read tone of voice in a text message. That's a dangerous kind of thing, right? A letter, uh, some written communication. It's hard to get a grasp on what somebody's intentions are behind it. And so I think Paul gets the fact that when he says, 
I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, it could wreck them. Right? I mean, if I, if I were to say to you, I'm doing a really hard thing. I, I can't even hold a candle to being a prisoner, right? I'm, I'm doing a really hard thing and it's on you. Like, I could be as optimistic as I want to be, but if you're a human, you may feel like a little guilt trip on that. I think Paul might sense the fact that, that if he just walks away with that phrase, it may come across as heavy and even distracting to the point that he's trying to make if he just leaves it there. And so he takes this, these 12 verses to rehash some of the stuff that he's already covered to set their minds in what God has done on their behalf and then says to them, so don't let this distract you from what's really important. And in case, you know, in case it's, uh, how do we know for sure that that's what Paul is, um, is saying? Let's look at verse 13 before we read through the rest of it, okay? Verse 13, which is the end of this little diversion, he says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. There is a significance to this. You participate in what God is doing. This is your glory. You're part of what God is doing, his glory um, in this world and so I don't want you to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you. This is what God has intended, and it's for your own benefit for me to do that. And so then he goes into that prayer that we started to read a few minutes ago. So what does he tell them that's supposed to reduce the guilty feeling over what Paul has shared with them about being a prisoner on their behalf? Okay? What he does is he goes back and says, remember what we've already said. Well, before we let Paul remind us of what he's already said, how about those of you who have been with us for the last couple of months, how about we together remind ourselves of what Paul has already said? Can you go back a page or, or the page before this one at least and, and see chapter 1? We started off the book of Ephesians looking at what God had done on our behalf for his glory, okay? And, and we said a couple of things were true that Paul had disclosed to us through his, through his work, um, or through his letter and through the work of Christ, what was true about us. Does anybody remember any of the things that chapter 1 verses, say, 3 to 14, share with us. I won't take it personally if nobody remembers, but I'm just curious. Anybody remember some of the, some of the identity-shaping truths of chapter 1? Say it. Adopted. We're adopted. We are adopted. Um, in fact, we are, he says, predestined for adoption. That this isn't a response to something that has happened. This is something that is a long-standing plan of God. He's predestined for us to be adopted to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. The work of Jesus Christ on our behalf has provided adoption for us. We're not strangers anymore. We're going to get to that in chapter 2. We're not strangers anymore to God. We're not enemies anymore with God. Because of the work of Christ, we've moved from enemy 
to adopted as sons, meaning not a gender um, heavy thing as far as who or what that looks like, except that sons were the full inheritors of the riches of the father. And that in that we've been adopted to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. That's significant. You've been adopted. You've been predestined to adoption. Anything else that you remember? Say it again. Our purpose is in Christ. Our purpose is in Christ. Okay? That, say it again. Verse 9. Verse 9. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. And that purpose is a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So specifically, this whole sentence starts right here. We have redemption. It's not just for us. Our redemption is a part of a full-blown restoration. Unite all things to him in his work. That we have been redeemed as a part of a big plan of restoration. Something else that, that he says here, if we go back to the beginning, that we have been chosen for holiness and blamelessness before him. Chosen is significant. That's something that, that is defining for us. But also, so is this idea that we're supposed to be holy and blameless before God, and, and we feel like it's this weighty responsibility after being um, redeemed that we have to measure up somehow. Like Peter says, be holy as I am holy, quoting just long-standing truth of the Old Testament, be holy as I'm holy. This is the character of our God, and we're supposed to measure up to us. Paul will say in other places that you need to live worthy of the calling with which you've been called. And there's, there's a heaviness to that because we know that our God is holy and perfect, and we are supposed to measure up to it. And what we find here in this is that it's not just a responsibility that's thrust upon you. It's an opportunity that's been shaped by the God who called you to do it himself. He's called you to be holy. He's given you what you need to do it, in fact, because it's by his own power that he does these things. Um, the last thing in chapter 1 is that we've obtained an inheritance. We've obtained an inheritance and that that inheritance is sealed with the promise of the Holy, the promised Holy Spirit. That we have the Holy Spirit and he is a guarantee of our inheritance. But the significant part of all this, because it's easy when we read something that turns our gaze onto ourselves and say, wow, we were chosen. Even if it's to holiness, that sounds heavy, but I'm chosen. I've been predestined to adoption that there's this new relationship defined by what God has done. That's, that's special. I have an inheritance and I'm redeemed. And even though it's a part of this big plan, I am redeemed. And there's all this I and me kind of discussion there. And, and it's true. It's all set there. And that's where we get our identity shaped and grounded. But it's not about us. It's to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. And so that in all of this, we are a part of the work of God in this world to bring glory to himself. So then he, um, he prays a prayer here, or he shares what he prays for the Ephesians in this part, and he, he 
shares about how he's thankful for them. He also um, shares how this is all about Jesus. That it's the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the work of his might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand, that Christ has now been put above all rule, authority, power, dominion, and that he's been seated at the right hand in the heavenly places. Now, if you remember chapter 2, we've also been seated with him. So in all this power of Jesus that has been put on him as the Son of God, that he has now been raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father with all power and authority over all of these enemies, that now we have also been seated with him, which is what we get into in chapter 2. We see this, this beautiful story of how we were dead, and because of God, we've been made alive, and it's all by his grace. It's not something that we have earned the opportunity to, to get for ourselves. It's all an, a gracious gift. And we took the time, we took the time to say this chapter two is a model for even how you can share your faith with others. And it's not, it's not the purpose of what Paul has said here, but it is a model for it. Paul has said it so that you would understand it, where you came from, and how God did the work to draw you to himself. And now that you have a purpose afterwards, and it's not just to dwell in the in the happiness of being restored to your God, it's that you were made for good works that God has planned beforehand for you to participate in. And that so you have this story that you can tell to others of where you were without God. Before Jesus, I was what? And that because God drew me to himself, or how God drew me to himself was this. This is the work that God did. To draw me to himself. And that then, since, since God drew me to himself, since this change took place because of what Jesus did, not because of how I said something or, or the way I cleaned myself up, but because of what God did in me, now I what? And it kind of gives you this pattern of, of before, before I met Jesus, I was this. Jesus drew me to himself by and since, since I came to Christ, this is what's different. You get a chance to share that. In fact, um, maybe you have been. Maybe you've been taking a, a minute to do that uh, when you have the chance. And maybe because you have family that don't all know the Lord, maybe that actually came this week over Thanksgiving. And so I'd love to just take a minute as we are rehearsing some of the things that God has showed us through Ephesians. I would love to take a minute for you to share with the people at your table. If, if, you're, if you haven't been around for this, that's okay, because what I'm going to ask you to share is something that is, that is necessary for all of us who follow Jesus, and that is to be aware of the lost around us. And so um, I would love for you to share, take a minute, um, for the people that you have either been able to, to share the love of Christ with this, this idea, maybe that helped to shape it, or maybe it didn't, but you had an opportunity to share Christ with somebody, or you can look at your circle of influence and you can see the people who don't know Jesus. And I would just love for you to take a minute at your tables to, to lay those names out before the people at the table and before God, and just, just pray. 
just pray. We're going to take five minutes. It won't be long. Maybe not everybody can share. But, but if you've got somebody that you have shared with that you, that you know needs to follow Christ, or it's a time to celebrate because they have, they have decided to follow Jesus, or you know somebody that God has put into your life that you will eventually have this opportunity to share the story with, then I want you to, I want you to lay those before the group, some accountability among this body, and before the Lord together in prayer. Okay, so we'll take five minutes to do that.
to keep moving on in, in our study of, of Ephesians. Our, our quick recap has turned a little long, sorry about that, but, um, but we're almost to the end of where we've studied so far. After we've, after we've seen just the, um, the beautiful picture of what God has done individually, Paul says this isn't just an individual um, it doesn't just have individual ramifications. It's, it's about our body of Christ, unity in the body of Christ. And so he says that all of the walls of hostility have been broken down. Okay, that the wall of hostility specifically between Gentiles and Jews has been broken down. And we dug into that just a couple of weeks ago uh, when we saw that, that while Jesus um, came and 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 shared how he would fulfill the law, right? Not just abolish it, not abolish it, but to fulfill it. And he gave this perspective of how it's the, the heart and not just the prescribed pattern of behavior that you needed to follow, that, that this is the work that Jesus did to then bring the body together. And so here, Paul uses the language that he abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two. And so Paul begins to unveil this mystery that over time seemed to be a huge disparity between Gentiles and Jews, a separation that wasn't ever going to be really um, taken away. And Paul says that Jesus himself did that, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And it's on the shoulders of that, okay, on, on the heels, I guess, of that actual, those statements that he has brought us together into one body, being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, that Paul says this first verse of chapter 3 and then gets distracted. And so he goes on to say, um, in the weight of this, I'm a prisoner and it's, and it's on, on behalf of you, he says, but hold on a second, okay, essentially, he says, assuming you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, that I have been given a gift, a gracious gift of God to be a steward of his grace to you. This is the role that I have. I'm a, I'm a steward of God's grace. How, how the mystery, this mystery, what mystery, which is the one we just talked about, and how do we know that? Paul says it really clearly. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is a mystery. This is a mystery that wasn't given in the same way until now. It, it's, not, it's not that it was completely covered up the way that some mysteries seem to be, where you're never supposed to know the answer. This is a mystery that was at a time, hidden, more so than at other times. In fact, Paul says that as it's been given to him by revelation, he's written about it we, briefly. That's all the verses that we just went over, okay? So depending on how you feel about writing, whether that's brief or not brief, Paul has written briefly about it here in these chapters so far that there's a mystery that God has begun to reveal and that you get to read it 
and you get to perceive the insight that God has given to Paul through revelation about the mystery of Christ that we are all now one body, that Gentiles are now a part of the same family of God, the same people of God. And when you read this, you can perceive my insight, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This is now newly unveiled in a greater way than it has been in the past. It's not that it's never been, okay? But it's been, it's been given differently now. So he says, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. To, to jump to the point, it's that, it's that this, while this is a new unveiling of a more significant understanding of this truth, it's not brand new. And so I want you to think for a minute. Let's try to, try to come up with a few examples of this. Has God ever un unveiled to any person or group of people that it wasn't just about the Jews prior to here? Okay, correct. So <laughs> where? He would. He would. <laughs> that um, someday Egypt would be called my people and Assyria would be considered the work of his hands. Yeah, I don't know if I'll get exactly where Pastor Nathan was, but um, I think along the same lines, um, in chapter 49, God says, and now, or, and now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, as, and, my, and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. That, essentially, that's not enough. That's too light a thing. So he goes on to say, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. This isn't brand new. Uh, in fact, chapter Isaiah 56, if I can, this, this takes a while to scroll, so let's go this way. Isaiah 56. And foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain. This might be the passage that you were talking about. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. And it didn't, even, it didn't start with Isaiah even. I mean, if we go all the way back to... Um, to Genesis, where God establishes this, this relationship with Abraham himself, he says, 
um, in verse 2, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse in you. All the families of the earth shall be blessed so that he's saying this isn't just about you. I'm using you. You are my chosen people in order to make a conduit of blessing to the world. So this isn't, this isn't unique to, um, to Paul. It's not unique to Isaiah. It's not unique to Abraham right here. But it's something that in small doses, God has made known to his people over history. And now Paul is saying, now it's not responding to me, sorry. This technology is awesome, only if it works. Uh, okay, so now Paul is saying it's been now revealed differently to me as it was to other generations. I have now seen more of this. And the people that I am surrounded by, the holy apostles, apostles and prophets, by the Spirit, this mystery has been given. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is now been more fully revealed. And Paul goes on to say that I've been made a minister of this gospel to the gift of God's grace. Yes, sir. Yeah. It's, it's an interdependent relationship between the message that he's bringing to them and the consequences of it. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're not wrong there. And, and I think that, um, you know, when we talk some about adoption, that's a part of this whole relationship dynamic that's changed, right? Well, one place that I think of when we talk about this adoption of God is uh, Romans 8. And in Romans 8, we read that with Christ... If we also suffer with him as he suffers. And it seems to be very clear this connection of, of you know, really living out what God has done on our behalf through the work of Jesus Christ and our participation in his sufferings. And we don't feel that as much in the culture that we live in. Our our doses of suffering are pretty light. And so it's I think it's hard, I think it's hard for us to understand exactly what that's like. Maybe, maybe that will change in our lifetime. I don't know. But, but I think what Paul is experiencing here is a natural interdependent relationship, the way that you're describing it, that we just don't have the um, ease with which to connect that Paul does. So he goes on, um, he goes on to say that this is, uh, let's see, I was made a minister according to the gift of God, uh, gift of God's grace. This is something that what I'm doing, where I find myself as a prisoner, is a gift of God to, um, to announce the, the glories of this restoration that God offers, this, this new mystery that we get to unveil. It's been given to me as a gift of God, and he is doing it by his power. 
this isn't the first time that Paul also relies on the power of God to do this. I mean, he, in, in fact, in this letter itself, in verse um, 19 of chapter 1, he says, what is the immeasurable greatness? Let me start with the beginning of that sentence. Um, I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers. I'm in 116, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That the, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that now works in Paul to give him what he needs to perform this task that he's been given by the grace of God. And he says, in a way that most of us tend to kind of roll our eyes because we know ourselves and we think we understand Paul, Paul says, to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. And we think it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, right? Like, you know, a, a humility little dash in there of what he's saying. But think of where Paul came from. Like, as far as, as, far as a um, turn around a repentance can be described paul has made a pretty distinctive 180 and so i don't think i don't think he's saying this lightly and i i don't think we do him justice by the little eye roll yeah but you don't know my heart kind of thing at least that's i'm projecting that on you that's me how i do that i think paul genuinely it was a far cry to think of him as the person who would be the one given this grace to unveil this mystery to others because he was doing the exact opposite. He was actively trying to squash it. And so this grace was given to the least of all the saints to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He gets to preach it, and he gets to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of this mystery, hidden for ages in God. Not a response to, to events outside of God's control. That is not who we serve as a God. Our God knows because this mystery was hidden for ages in God who created all things. God, before time, created all things so that um, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. As part of God's plan, we are a display of the manifold wisdom, the multifaceted, multicolored, there, there's all kinds of descriptors of what this manifold idea is, but we're talking about we're talking about a wisdom of God that when put on display is so consuming with, with beauty and majesty that it is now being made known to God's enemies, the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Not, not the authorities on earth, 
These are the rulers and authorities that Paul revisits in chapter 6 that we need to suit up in armor to battle against because there's an actual spiritual battle going on that we live in naivety to a lot of the time, that, that these are the rulers and authorities that are, that are getting to know in a greater way the manifold, incredible wisdom of God because of this thought, that those who were destined for wrath were made right with God and brought in to his people not deserving of it. But God in his restoration has made that happen. And it, through the church, this, this collective of God's people, put it on display for all of this, the rulers and authorities who would oppose God at every turn, for them to know that he has wisdom beyond their ability, and that it is something that he has planned for ages when he created all things. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. And because of all of this, okay, so this is, this is significant. All the things that have taken place up to this point, this is significant. But here's where it plays out for you in your daily life, okay? As you walk through life, and you try to hopefully understand the implications of what Christ has done, and it seems distant at times, and it seems foreign at times, and it, it seems um, hard for us to kind of apply at times, and, and all of this comes from spending time with Christ. In fact, I mean, Paul says, we, we overlooked it a little bit here, but he says this really interesting um, thing that when he writes it, okay, he writes it briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. There's this incredible um, process by which God has revealed this mystery. And John Piper describes it really well. I'd love to share with you this progression that he describes. He says, okay, here's God. Here's God in eternity past with a mystery, right? He created all things. This is part of his plan. God has this mystery. In recent days, and Paul's time, he has revealed it to the apostles and prophets. They write it down, as Paul did, and the Gospels and other letters. They write it down. We participate in this transmission of God's mystery by being readers. Who knew? Right? Our participation in this is we are readers. What happens then is, if we, if we read along here, we would naturally say, we read this, and then we perceive his insights into the mystery of Christ. There's something missing there that Paul has already told us in chapter 1, which is that the Holy Spirit does a work to enlighten the hearts of men. So that the Holy Spirit then does this work to enlighten us, to help us to understand it, and then we perceive the insights of the mystery of, of Christ. And all of that is so that God is praised. Because likewise, what he's already said is that this is done for the praise of Christ. And so as we participate in this, we have, we have a benefit that comes to us. That we now have, through Jesus, 
we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. The way that Romans 8 also says that we now get to cry out to our Abba Father, we have access to God himself. And we can access him with confidence. We don't have to sheepishly come to him in shame and and regret over what we've done already again. And we just asked forgiveness for it yesterday. And here we come again thinking that, oh, we're going to be able to, do you think we can just walk into his presence? You can boldly access your Abba Father with confidence because of the work that God has done. And yes, repentance is hard sometimes. And yes, confession is hard sometimes. But this is our God that that loves you before you had anything, you, you didn't ever have anything to offer. And that he has done a work when you were his enemy to restore you in relationship and adopt you as his son, as full heir of, of all that he has, and that now you can live in boldness, in whom we have boldness, to live in this world as circumstances arise, the things go on around us, we can live in boldness and have access with confidence through our faith in him. And so it's on this basis, all of these things that, that Paul has talked about over a couple of chapters, now he's rehearsed them in different ways through the last 12 verses. He says to the Ephesians, and likewise to us, don't lose heart over suffering. The Ephesians can't lose heart over what Paul is suffering. You, likewise, can't lose heart over suffering because this is the way God is working in this world. And while you live through this, you can have boldness and access to the very God who has, from eternity past, known what was going to happen and has now begun to reveal this mystery to even the biggest enemies of the rulers and authorities in heavenly places through what he is doing in you and in us together. So live with boldness. Use with confidence your access to your Father. And live out what he has asked you to live out as you walk through this life with with goals that come up and and desires that stand out, things that you want to achieve and, and milestones in life that you want to cross. As there's, there's an eternity that needs to be in your mind, something that Christ God has done, you can live in boldness through all of those decisions, putting them in perspective to what God has already accomplished on your behalf and will ultimately accomplish in the restoration of all things so that these decisions and these ambitions become something that can propel you forward in your walk with Christ instead of derail you off of what he is doing in your life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for using the unlikely servant of Paul that looking at him, he would not be the ideal choice of any of us to get on the team. But Father, you, you did a work in your power and in your grace 
to change his direction so that he would be the unveiler of your mystery by his writings the way that you have given him the uh, insight into what you are doing. So, Father, thank you that we have your word in this way. Thank you that we can read it, that we can participate in the transmission of this mystery by reading it and proclaiming it to others. Father, as we walk through life and what you've given us to do, would you give us the grace to call us out to yourself as we get distracted by the things of the world around us, by ambitions that are set in our own glory and not yours. Father, would you, would you graciously set us straight so that we might participate in your work around this world in the life that you've given us? Because this life is short and eternity is long and we need to ha- keep that in perspective. That there's that what you have given us is of far greater value than the things that we are distracted by in this world. We love you and pray that we would represent you well even today as we leave this place. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, guys, we'll be back um, next week if you are able to be here to go through the next section of Ephesians chapter 3. Um, otherwise, I hope you enjoy the rest of your... Thanksgiving weekend and the semester as it comes to a close if you're a student right now. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you would like to get plugged into a small group, just text HB Converge to 81010 and you will get the text reminders for all the small groups. If you have any questions, just respond to one of those text reminders and it will go to our leadership team and they will be able to respond to you directly.